1: Can you believe it? Linda Steele, we are halfway through our season. And we got gifts today, too, from this fabulous uh, winery on the island. It's called Forty Knots. So they sent us a box. We had some wine. We had some spa, some spa things. Vino Spa is something else they do. Uh, this one is called Spindrift. Yep. I'll just top up because I don't want to go over my two drink limit. Forty knots with forty knots, knots with a K. It's really good. I would buy this again.
2: Thank you so much. She wouldn't say that if she didn't mean it. No, I,
1: it's true. Um, a viewer, really, I love the BC wineries.
2: One of our viewers yep. said, "Hey, thank you so I much." I see that you've got some oh, forty knots wine over there. Yep, love it. Here we go. Okay, appreciate it. Lots to get to. In our opener, we are running around the downtown core of Vancouver <laughs> in tank tops <laughs> yeah. and shorts. Uh, we're not getting back to that anytime oh, soon man. as we look at the weather forecast.
1: <laughs> I'm so sick of the weather. I mean, check out the headline, brace yourself, get out the woolies and the boots and the gloves and the heavy coats because we got some nasty weather coming, Jody. Minus six, minus 10-ish, so
2: five to eight degrees lower than we typically are. I was looking, I had a memory come up, I think it was on my Facebook page when I was checking our Facebook, by mm-hmm. the way, Steel Events Facebook page, you can join us Join us. us. There. Um, But in 2015, it was 18 degrees in Vancouver. on. I I know. So the fluctuations, you never know what's happening on the (laughs) West Coast. But when I look to Toronto, and Montreal, all of the east, for that matter, right now, absolute blizzard conditions. So you know yeah, what? we're not getting that. We are t-
1: getting nice t- blue skies. There is this polar vortex. It's going to be cold, but it's blue. Mm. I'm from Alberta. That's kind of my home weather. I will stick
2: with you on that. I yeah. like a little blue sky. The, yeah. the low, the low. Uh, you can get, you can get feeling blue mm-hmm. when it's dark all day yeah. long. But I mean, there was some brightness in studio last week with uh, um. all the un. Unbelievable. we had Smudge.
1: so much feedback, oh. too. Uh, we had two guests on, not at the same time. There's our premier, David E. B. and Connie Smudge is the drag queen who was at the center of a protest outside the Coquitlam Library, the drag queen story time. Yeah. Jody, I don't know about you, but we had a ton of positive feedback. And then, oh my goodness, the negative feedback, I had someone reach out to me online and say, David Eby should be recalled simply for appearing in the same photo as a drag queen and I was like you know that
2: should go in what the hell is wrong with people really what's wrong with you if you don't like it don't go to drag queen story time there's really nothing more to that the whole groomer thing like worry about worry about the people who are actually grooming I think that's my favorite thing that Connie Smudge said on the program last Mm -hmm. week when it's hard to hate
1: close up well it's hard to hate
2: close up no it was the other one that that honestly in his everyday life in her everyday life his everyday life it's like, I was groomed for 20 years to be oh, straight. Yeah, now look at good. me now, is the, all dressed up in the fabulous. The main, Thank you, Connie Smudge. We yes. Love you.
1: The main people were confused because clearly they didn't watch the story. They didn't know anything no. about story time. Uh, they didn't even Not watch her interview. Yeah. And so a lot of people said, well, we don't need these men dressed up as women showing up in latex and all this sexualized stuff. And I was like, uh, she was wearing a caftan and a very proper you know, dress. So clearly they don't dress no. like that. And To my point, I was saying, Jennifer Lopez doesn't go to Safeway wearing thigh-high boots and fishnets and a bespeckled thong either. No, There's a time and a place when you're a performer and you dress appropriately. This goes under the
2: heading of, we need a new segment that's called
1: Calm Down. (laughs) down. I'm going to write that down because we need some new graphics. Calm down. New graphics. Dave Lechmanek,
2: we need you. Calm down. Um, You're going to love today's program. Just... So you know what's ahead on Steele and Vance. We have been talking about medical assistance mm. in dying on this show since day one. Yeah. Uh, both you and I have experience with dementia and Alzheimer's in our family. And we've been talking about this subject, very contentious topic, mm-hmm. but we are bringing in somebody who knows a little something
1: about me. Dr. Stephanie Green is kind of one of the preeminent made physicians and she is actually from the island, has written a book, has done a TED Talk, which yeah. is about to be available. Anyway, we just have a million questions, So we're going to share some of our own thoughts as yeah. well.
2: And we've got to give an update on the Surrey Police Services RCMP decision we've been waiting for from the provincial
1: government. And Linda... And the decision is that we don't have enough information, so we can't make a decision. I guess that's it in a nutshell. I'm gonna have to drill down with my husband when I get home. My husband is the chief of the Surrey Police Service. This has been very stressful for hundreds of people. RCMP officers wondering what's happening with their future. SPS officers, there's over 450 SPS employees now. They're wondering what's going on. I mean, uh, taxpayers, the mayor, everybody's going, to give us a decision. And the decision is, we can't make a decision because we don't have enough information. So, limbo continues. And honestly, the Stay person tuned. you didn't
2: mention in all of the people that this affects is yourself. And I know this weighs That's heavily true. on you. It's tough when when there's limbo in, Makes in me, your household. It's so. hard to stick to my two drinks. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. drink that. Well, I'll tell you, yeah. you know
1: who else's limbo is over?
2: Bruce Boudreaux's oh, limbo is over. Holy yeah. handled poorly, Batman.
1: You know what was sad about that? And uh, I'm an Oilers fan, but boy, did I have some compassion for Bruce Boudreaux because just just a human being. He was funny and he was interesting and he showed Bruce, his heart. Bruce, there it is. Yeah.
2: Bruce, there it. I mean, come and on. Everybody knew that, cool that he was going to be
1: fired. They even knew who the new coach was going to be, but they were not firing Bruce. So finally they did it. And then the Canucks put out this tone-deaf tweet. I said they misspelled F-U, I think, yeah. um, because... Yeah. Anyway, the fans loved Bruce, and who, they gave him a big send-off at his last game. You
2: fire him, and then you honor him? Is that how this works now? Is a little damage been,
1: control is what that was. I don't
2: know. Who approved that? I, I hope Turkey's they so, learned
1: something from it. that I debacle. It. I don't know. It's... Mm-hmm. it's it's. Mm. You know who else is going, mm, are People who are trying to buy a house because the Bank of Canada raised rates again up 25 basis points. So here's the thing. We're up to 4.5% right. now. Look at you, where but... his hand is. <laughs> yeah. right here. We're going to stop right stop here. right That's what right, he said. Right no, we'll much,
2: no higher just, than that. Just until you're underwater. <laughs> the, the interesting piece, and we talked about this last week, is that the, the talk around the announcement mm-hmm. shows a glimmer of light that maybe this is the last time that they're going to raise the rates in this cycle. we got to see inflation. Cool. I mean, and it it, is. it's doing what it's meant to do. I mean, the, the one... Other thing that came out today was about rentals in Canada. The rental
1: occupancy rate—it's oh, like we're at the top.
2: We are. We're like
1: point Tiff could have gone, we're up here. or That's how high we're the we're the you number one most expensive place most to rent. Most
2: expensive, and there's just nowhere to rent anymore. Yeah. And more people coming every day. It is very stressful for.
1: Like you said, there is some good news though because uh, the gas prices, energy prices have. Come down a bit even though they're still insanely high here yeah. in BC when it's still a buck 80 something I mean me, hello, not cheap uh, food prices are crazy high but they have globally come down so we'll start to see that um, so yeah
2: you know what else is high what the cost of your cell phone bill and your oh cable bill and you know what it's probably gonna stay that way because we're gonna if gonna not go, go higher to, we're gonna go towards a monopoly how about
1: that we already have a monopoly we like have a three telecom monopoly and now the Shaw Rogers merger has Passed another hurdle. So the Competition Bureau was appealing the merger, and the court said, Nope, nope, that's not going to happen. So it's now up to Da-da-da-da, the innovation minister is the one who has to give the final say. And that'll be interesting because the prime minister has come out and said, we know that cell phone and internet uh, bills are too high for Canadians, and so we're going to bring that down. And in, that's what he said in 2019. And then... Nothing. Did you see your bill go down? No. I, no, I didn't either. This
2: makes me crazy on another level, Linda, because when I was working at Sportsnet early days when it first launched, CTV Sportsnet, it was purchased by... Rogers, mm-hmm. Communications. So Rogers then owned Sportsnet and TSN. And the CRTC said, oh, no, you can't own the competition. you got to divest yourself of a one. So I moved from working at Bell to working at Rogers mm-hmm. without being asked. I was just yeah. shifted over there because that's what they did with Sportsnet. Yeah. So we went through all of that back then, but, but Shaw... And Rogers
1: now can. Well, you know, Blacklock's Reporter, it's an online uh, yes. website in yes. Ottawa run by a friend of mine, actually. They had a story today saying that one of the MPs has been told by insiders that this is going to mean the loss of potentially up to 5,000 jobs at Rogers. Not surprising. And when the Rogers exec was on the hot seat, he didn't necessarily deny that, not the number, but said, well, you know, there's going to be, you know, efficiencies and all that brutal. You know, Before we get speak. to
2: the candies, I want to just throw in one more news nugget. Uh, Friday, if you're watching this on Sunday, apologies, but Friday, the World Health Organization is going to mm. decide, they're having a conference call to decide whether or not they're removing the emergency from COVID-19 emergency. <laughs> to, to it's move not it. not an
1: emergency anymore.
2: That, that's the decision that will yeah. be made on Friday, so we'll keep our you tuned to that. Now, M&M's.
1: Okay, so M&M's, the little spokes candies, they're cute, right? They're and adorable. so they had a little makeover recently where they sort of made them more inclusive. There was one of the, I think the brown candy had stilettos yeah. and they gave Go-go her boots. more sensible shoes. Right. And one of the other ones, uh, there's a purple one. I don't know if that's blue or purple, but they had one that was larger, I guess to represent all body shapes. Well, Fox News lost their
2: oh, Tucker minds Carlson over this was oh, just Oh I mean.
1: M's are too woke. So M M's has parked the spokes candies and has hired Maya Rudolph to be their spokesperson. I love her. For the Super Bowl anyway. Making it. Making it, it.
2: I love her show. I bake. love that show too. And me too. So Maya Rudolph, she's <laughs> great. Okay, okay. We got so much coming up. Uh, we got focus. i got to focus. Yeah. got to focus. Later on the show, we're going to talk about the call from rural mayors to lift vaccine mandates for health care workers, something that's only really happening in BC now. We'll talk about mm. that. And the dis- disinformation highway has cost lives. Oh,
1: like lives thousands of lives. Yeah, we'll weigh in on that. Also, you have to stay tuned. We're going to be talking medical assistance and dying. There's so much controversy, the delay had made for the mentally ill. We have some personal thoughts when we come back.
2: Back on Steel & Vance, time for a very personal piece of this medical assistance in dying puzzle. Linda, you and I both need to weigh in on this.
1: Yeah, you know, it's controversial for a million reasons, but also because starting in March, uh, people with mental illnesses as their only sole medical condition were supposed to be allowed to access MAID. The government has received so much blowback on that. There's so much concern that they have pressed pause so we don't know when that's going to be available, but we are going to be digging into this a little bit deeper coming up in a few minutes with uh, Dr. Stephanie Green, who's from the island, who's performed uh, many procedures, many made procedures with people at their end of life. and She does uh, TED Talks.
2: She's written books. Yeah. She was a Uh, a general practitioner physician then she was an obstetrics physician she was bringing babies into the world and then she switched to medical assistance in dying and we'll talk to dr green Mm -hmm. coming up in just a few moments but we wanted to weigh in and this kind of gives me a little bit of like i don't know a fluttering heart a little bit doesn't Mm -hmm. it because both linda and i as you may or may not know depending on when you found our show um have had Alzheimer's touch our families mm-hmm. and, and both of us have been essential caregivers for a parent, you with two parents in fact who have suffered. And watching that, it's that, that slow departure. Mm-hmm. If my dad had any idea of what was before him, there is no question in my mind that he would have chosen medical assistance yeah. in dying. So the question for me now is, if I knew that that was imminent for me, or if I saw signals of that, would that be available to me at some point in my life? If so, choose. We talk about
1: this. Off you know, a I've lot. been on the dementia journey for twelve years now. My mom was diagnosed. She passed away in twenty fifteen. My dad had about one year, maybe a year and a half of sort of peace and and calm in his life, and then he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And I quit my job so I could spend more time at the long-term care facility with him. And same with you, Jody. I mean, I watch my parents, and I know for sure that if they had this moment of clarity back, and they could see their situation, they would say, I do not want to be here. And I 100% would access made for myself if I got the diagnosis. And it's crappy because you don't really know, and you can live many years uh, with Alzheimer's and have some quality of life, Yeah, but you don't know how quickly it's gonna progress, and I just know that I do not wanna end up in a long-term care home wearing a diaper and having my husband or people who love me having to see me in that condition. I just don't want it.
2: And that's- that's a real common thread to honestly we have a steel and Band show Facebook page if you ever want to be a part of our community yeah. find us on there because that was the resounding response to yeah. we have this physician coming on do you have a comment or a question but not just in terms of, of, of Alzheimer's and dementia but people chiming in about having had a loved one perhaps with ALS that yeah. comes to mind there are people who are like so grateful to have access. Well, of course, Linda, there are people who are pushing back on this, who whose religious beliefs are not aligned mm-hmm. with this, who are concerned about the mental health piece of this puzzle, um, wanting to talk with Dr. Green, who's coming up in the next segment, about the rigorous process associated what? with accessing MAID.
1: I actually know two people. I've had long conversations with them both of their loved ones accessed MAID. In one case, my girlfriend didn't get a lot of notice that it was happening, and she had a real struggle watching it unfold because she wasn't mentally prepared for it. Her father was, she was not, and she struggled with that. But on the other hand, I have a friend who's both of her parents, one year after the other, both accessed MAID, she said it was lovely. The daughters, there's a bunch of daughters in the family, they all, sat around, they told stories, they held hands, I think they had a glass of wine. Everyone got a chance to say what they wanted to say yeah. before it happened. So similar I, it's story very personal. F- yeah, similar
2: story to uh, a couple of my friends who have, have had a family member, a loved one, access it, one uh, her father did. Um, and it was a struggle for them in the coming to terms with the want about it, but when they sat together as a community, as a family, family, friends, the patient, all with the physician to sort of walk through what the process was gonna be like. And the this is a story that, that aired on, on Czech, mm-hmm. on our Czech news a, a couple of years ago. And this is literally uh, the documentation of the process of coming together and and saying goodbye uh, a, a few photographs some some moments some some comments a lot of love and then really
1: have control right? yeah. too if you're yeah. the person regardless of what it is whether it is a mental illness and you qualify in the future if you're in desperate pain if you are imminently about to die whatever the situation is for me to have the control to be able to say I want to do it on my terms I want to clean everything up before I go I want to say everything I want to say to the people I love. For me, this is an option that I want to be able to have. I understand a lot of people feel uncomfortable about it because they think maybe you're being pushed into it or maybe someone who's disabled is, or a veteran, we've heard these stories, oh, you should maybe access MAID. I don't think it works like that. I think there's so many checks and balances that people almost wish it could move more quickly sometimes.
2: Yes, and therein lies the piece that I think is really important here. You said a number of times in what you that personal note, and I, I love you for saying all of that out loud. It, we help people when we say these things out loud, but you kept saying, for me, for mm-hmm. me, for me. If this is not for you, that's okay too, right? And I think there's balance to mm-hmm. be found in that because I can say with full honesty and 100% personal knowledge that if I was told that I was about to go down the Alzheimer's Mm -hmm. path like my dad, I would want to know that somewhere in my power of attorney, that somewhere in my will, mm-hmm. it could activate at a moment. And there is pushback or on that as Or we could just well. make a
1: pact. If it happens, you smother me with a pillow, and I'll do, <laughs> and I'll do the same if we, we don't have access just, to me. I mean, isn't that just? People say that all the time. It is. In a joking
2: way, but, but in this a is our kitchen ta- too. This is yeah. our kitchen table, Linda, and I think this is happening on many kitchen tables across British Columbia, across the mm-hmm. country, and across the world in other jurisdictions. This is completely normal and not something that's argued, right. but it's how to set it up in a way that is uh, legally comfortable for everybody right. involved, that's people who want it can access it. Okay, we got That it. is what we think. Yes.
1: Up next, uh, we have a woman who has spent nearly a decade helping patients end their lives the way they want to through MAID. An extended interview with Dr. Stephanie Green when we come back. I've always felt that dying with dignity was something that I was going to do if I ever got sick enough to do it.
0: But when people see an alive person,
1: I'm not laying in a ball crying, I am fully functional and I have made a conscious choice. There it is, right? The conscious choice. Yeah, that we talked about. (laughs) We did.
2: We just talked about that in the segment prior. I've been looking forward to our next guest. Um, Dr. Stephanie Green is somebody who has done the general practitioner, has done the obstetrics, and now made physician. And Linda, we've been- She's also
1: an author. We should show her book as well. Yes, we should. Uh, Let's have a look at the book because this just came out a little while ago this is assisted dying and this is a must read and we are going to talk to the woman who wrote it dr stephanie green as a maid provider thank you so much for coming in studio thanks for having me can we get some of the politics out of the way first because sure. in march people with mental illness is their sole medical condition we're supposed to be able to access Made, right. And then there was a big outcry, and so the government has kind of said, OK, we're going to delay this. We don't know when that's going to go forward. How do you feel about it? Do you think people with mental illnesses should be able to access MAID? You know, I'm going to
0: just say that it's not really up to me. It's really up to constitutional experts and, and legal scholars in this country. And the decision actually already been made. The court has already spoken. In fact, people sometimes mistakenly talk about this as an expansion of our law. It's not that at all. This is a restoration of the rights of those with mental health disorders to access the same privileges in healthcare that they were granted by the Carter decision. Our government temporarily excluded that. And we're talking
2: about how soon we're going to restore that. Mm, interesting. So that's my take. Mm-hmm. I love that you've prefaced that with it's really not up to me. Yet people probably come to you and perhaps blame you hmm. for there being access for some. So take us historically. Sure. When did this begin for you and, and for Canadians? Because this is not new elsewhere in the world. No, so it's easy to go back all the way to
0: Sue Rodriguez, our Mm -hmm. BC-born Victoria-based woman who really brought this subject to light in the 90s when her, her case came forward. She challenged the prohibition of assisted dying in Canada. She famously lost that fight at the Supreme Court, but it was pretty close. And she really kick started a national conversation. I mean, her story really tugged at the heart of many Canadians. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in medical school at the time, and I was doing a bioethics course. And so rather than stick to the textbook, we just took the headlines out of the newspaper and started talking yeah. about that case. Really? So. It really had i'm sure an impact on me i then left the topic for a long time but canadians kept talking the main change of course was in in 2015 when the the next decision came from the high court the carter case as we call it Uh, a group of people got together and and that unanimous decision at, at the at the high court in this country said that it's not that canadians have a right to have assisted dying it's that a blanket prohibition of this care is an infringement on people's rights. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit flipped. Mm -hmm. But that's important because in that decision, they didn't say, if you have a mental health disorder, you don't qualify, or if you have dementia, you don't qualify. They said, all Canadians qualify as long as these criteria have been met. And the government then responded to that decision by regulating, by legislating the law that would regulate this practice. And they made it more restrictive. They added an element where they said that, that a patient, in order to qualify, there's a whole list of things that mm-hmm. needed to happen. But one of them they added, which was not in the original decision, was that their death had to be reasonably foreseeable. And essentially, by creating that requirement, they blocked anyone with a mental health disorder as their only underlying illness from really getting through the gate because very few people could say that. Mm-hmm. There were exceptions. There were people with mental health disorders that did make it through that gate, but very, very few.
1: Yeah, you know, dementia, you mentioned that, and this is one of the things I really wanted to talk to you about, is we both have that yes. personal experience, and I know for sure that if I get the bad spin of the wheel and I get that diagnosis, that's the route I'd like to go. But it was my understanding that you can't do advanced consent. So can I get made if I'm diagnosed with dementia? So that is the question I'm asked at every
0: single talk, presentation, lecture party I have spoken about made so I, you are not alone in that question mm. um, I want to be clear that as I said there's no exclusion for people with mental for people with dementia or neurocognitive problems the thing is can the patient can that person meet all of the required criteria it's a very rigorous system and the tension for people with dementia is whether they can, they can be in what's called an advanced state of decline, which is required by the law, yeah. and still maintain, have capacity to make this decision. Can mm-hmm. both those things be true at the same time? I would say that it it can be true. It's complicated. It's not every patient who will make that make that rigorous uh, assessment successfully. But there are some, and I have helped people with dementia under our current law, Find, you know, find, made, and and be helped by that. So, mm-hmm. yes, it is possible. It's just that it's not possible for everyone. So, for
2: somebody watching right now, is like, hold on, wait a minute, Dr. Green. So, somebody sitting there perhaps has this in their, in their family right. is wondering, how do I make certain... That I have that option to be considered in that way—is it something you put in your will? Is there, is there something that you give to your person of, whose power of attorney, like so, that would make sense? But none of those things are available. So,
0: made can only be triggered by the patient, by the patient themselves, and not on the patient's behalf by anyone else. No matter what is written in the lawyer's office, right. no matter what your healthcare representation is. Right. So, the way to make it a, a, a possibility is that once there's a diagnosis, if that's something you want to explore, you speak to a MAID practitioner and have the conversation. What is wrong? What's the diagnosis? What are you fearful of? Mm. What could we do to help support that? What other options are there? Get to know that patient, get to know the practitioner. And then you meet on a regular basis, maybe every six months to document the changes. Mm. There's a model of care that some people call 10 minutes to midnight. Um, Midnight is not when you turn into a pumpkin. Midnight is at the point after which you no longer have the capacity to make your own healthcare decisions. We know that people with dementia will eventually get there, but it's not a flick of a switch. There's some fluctuations there. If I see a patient early on and see them on a regular basis over the course of months and years and document the decline and really get to know them, I, I, I would argue that there's a time, what I call 10 minutes to midnight, when the patient is already in an advanced state of decline but still has a small window of capacity left. Now some people will lose that insight, no longer want made, feel just fine as they go through their dementia. Other people will be very adamant, I know it's coming, you're telling me it's coming, I see it's coming, I feel it's coming, I don't want that, this is what I want. Some people are able to still express that strong desire at 10 minutes to midnight, and some of those patients can qualify.
1: What do you do? If you know I as the patient decided I wanted to have made, I qualified, but my family was against it.
0: Yeah, that is for me, that is the worst case scenario. I try very hard to include family in every situation. It is only leading to bigger problems and complicated grief if we can't get people at the same table to, to understand what's happening. Ultimately, however, professional obligations and law require that if the patient looks at me, if you say to me, don't you call my children. I'm not giving you permission to tell them about this. I don't want them to, I cannot professionally go to them and say, hey, do you know your mom's considering this? Wow. So I try my best to talk to you about why I think it's important to bring your kids in. I try my best to tell your kids why I think they should listen to you. I try to establish a respectful scene, a place where you can speak to each other comfortably, honestly and respectfully, even if you don't agree just having that conversation can be really powerful. Mm-hmm. And maybe the first time people are listening to each other, but I still have to respect the law and my professional obligations.
2: Mm-hmm. So in your experience, Dr. Green, when you, Stephanie, Please. sorry <laughs> you've <these> um, <laughs> <laughs> Is it Stephanie, it's, the connection that you have with the patient, and then you do have the family there, yeah. and, and you've gone through all of the r- rigorous, you know, red tape, for lack of a better word, to get to, the, when you tell a patient you've been approved for this, yeah. tell us what that's like.
0: For me, that was um, a little bit surprising. Um, the power of that moment to the patient has been extraordinary. I find that once we've been through that rigorous process, I sit down and I say to someone, You're eligible for this care. That doesn't mean they're going to have made, that doesn't right. mean they have to have made, but it means they can. They become empowered in that moment. And virtually every time I say that, like over 99% of the time, I will see a physical transformation in the patient. I see them relax. Mm. I see their head nod. I see them have a little, little smirk sometimes. They immediately thank me. Um, I am certain, after six and a half years of doing this, I am certain that it's therapeutic in and of itself mm. to offer this possibility to someone. Yeah. And often it reduces their suffering enough that they'll delay a little or that they might not even, yeah, they, they stop worrying about how they're going to die and they start planning how they're going to spend their final days and weeks and months. They start focusing on life. Love it's, that. it's an incredible transformation, you know, physically, emotionally, mentally. Uh, and, and for me, I think that 80% of my job is done when I when I say those words to a patient.
1: When you talk about your job as a doctor, you take the Hippocratic Oath, to do no harm. How do you square that circle when you are, I mean, literally helping end someone's life? I think you said the key word. It's help. Mm. What doctors
0: do, we help people, right? There's that old expression, which I love. I always forget the order of it. We we cure sometimes, we care often, and we comfort always. That is the goal. And no matter what we said in our med school interviews, and we all said a variety of things to get through the door, (laughs) the truth is most people go into medicine to help people. And essentially, we like to cure more often, but essentially what we do is we help people. And I'm facilitating someone's final wish. I'm helping someone. I don't feel that I'm doing anything negative. I'm Helping facilitate a person's final wish it's incredibly meaningful work
2: I had the opportunity to interview you on radio a number of years ago and Mm -hmm. I am forever changed by that interview because on your resume it says I was GP then I was an obstetrician and then I decided to do this and when I asked you why or what is that what changed there Mm -hmm. and you explained bringing people into the world and also helping them exit It's really similar. I I
0: should probably say that I wasn't an obstetrician. I'm a family physician. Family physician, sorry, focused on maternity care. Lest anyone claim I'm (laughs) (laughs) five way preventing presenting myself.
2: I I over. (laughs) Tell me this. Tell us the story. Well,
0: not realizing it when I began this work, I I um, I was passionate about my work in maternity care. I really loved it. I was doing it for over 22 years and. Um, I think most people in that field, I'd like to think most people in that field really recognize there's an art to doing that work well. There's a certain choreography about recognizing when you have prepared someone, you've prepared their family. When you walk into the room to do the the delivery, to help them through the labour and delivery, um, there's a lot of intensity, a yeah, lot of emotion. Terrified. Yeah, we're <laughs>
1: terrified.
0: Yeah, it's a pretty important day in your life. There's family dynamics happening. Should the mother-in-law be allowed in or not, mm, right. right? At what time is she allowed in? There's a lot going on, a lot of fear. And I am not the most important person in the room. Clearly, the dyad, the mom, and the soon-to-be baby, I mean, that's they're important. So I'm, like, acutely involved and really privileged to be there to hand the baby to mom the first time. It's extraordinary work. Yeah. But as soon as that baby's out and the champagne is corked, it's not for me to stay and have champagne. It's for me to gracefully withdraw, mm-hmm. respectfully do so, and leave the family to that. All those things I just said are exactly true in an assisted death. It's incredibly intense. And it's incredibly emotional. There's a lot of family dynamics. It's one of the most important days in someone's life. Yeah. And I am clearly not the most important person in the room. So the choreography around that is very similar. And I found my skill set was very transferable from one to the other. I didn't really see that at first, but I've been struck by that. And I feel incredibly lucky to have spent two decades in maternity care in order to prepare me to do this work.
1: Can you leave us with a story uh, without revealing any confidences of someone who you helped pass uh, that was like so joyous and lovely? There's so many. I know. <laughs> I mean, they're not all joyous, no, but sure many not.
0: of them are beautiful in their own way. I mean, they're always sad to some extent. Somebody's life is ending, but they can be profound moments in yeah. someone's life and in a family's life. And I, I tell the story in my book of the very first person I helped is Harvey. Um, and they were an extraordinary family, uh, very supportive before they had anyone had any experience doing this. And after that rigorous process, and after my private conversation with Harvey, after having prepared the family, that moment in that room uh, well, has forever changed me. Um, you know, Harvey was there, he was being held by his grown children, they were touching him or holding him, both of them. His wife was sitting on a chair, pulled up close to him on his right. Uh, I was holding his left arm. All of us were touching, there was a physical connection between all of us. And they lit. he and his wife, he was married for 52 years. He mm-hmm. wanted to make it to 52 years. He did, and very mm-hmm. soon after, he had his main event. And they were literally connected there, forehead to forehead, whispering to each other Aww. as I began giving the medicine. She held his face. She stroked his head. She told him it was okay, that she loved him and that she would miss him, but that she was going to be okay. She whispered something I couldn't hear. He smiled as he was falling asleep. And the, the intimacy of that moment... Mm was extraordinary and I, I literally struggled to focus on what I was doing you know I see in that beauty that beautiful closure between them it was it was an extraordinary end to a man's life who was deeply loved by his family and in their arms as he passed you know his her words were the last words he heard as he oh, fell man. asleep.
1: I just got a whole starting, shiver down my back. I'm starting to cry. Well, that, that's okay, powerful. I, that is
2: powerful. You have to come back. Yeah. Please come back. Are you crying to. over there? I am. Yeah,
1: I mean, it was beautiful. Right. What you do is it was powerful and important, and thank you for that. Thanks for the opportunity. And thank you for coming in. Dr. Stephanie Green is a maid thank provider. You. you need a Kleenex. I do. Yeah. It's the
2: emotion of the intimacy that was just explained there, the the importance of, of the presence of love and family. Yeah. I and mean, this isn't just a political... You know, it's about choice. It's about choice and how okay. you end your life. I'll get myself together because we got more to talk about yeah. here, and it's serious.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Coming up next on Zilin oh. Vance, would lifting COVID mandates help ease the shortage of healthcare workers in BC? We're going to talk about that when we come back.
2: Welcome back to Steele and Vance. And Linda, we got a number of things we want to cover off in this ne- next segment, but we're going to do a little bit of a flashback look forward <laughs> off the top.
1: Well, because there's been a lot of discussion lately about uh, private medicine, two-tiered medicine. A lot of people saying, what about universal health care? This was driven by Doug Ford in Ontario, who announced that he was going to allow some private clinics to be able to do some surgeries to reduce the backlog, but it's all being paid for by the public purse. Right. So there were the typical people, oh, this is an outrage. And people are saying, well, no, actually, B.C. has done that. A whole Alberta does it. A bunch of provinces do it. Quebec does it, too, I think. So we had asked our premier, David Eby, when he was in studio last last week, week, Mm -hmm. is B.C. considering going and doing more of what Ontario is doing?
2: We are not going to go that route of private clinics because one of the things that I really worry about is you open a private clinic. Where are the staff coming from? The issue we're facing is the shortage of people. Mm -hmm. So you pull people from the public system that are working, uh, and you put them in the private clinic, and and then you have a profit margin as well you're paying for. How are we ahead? So we're really focusing on getting those people into the system to support our our public Mm health care system. Mm -hmm. It's so complicated, right, Linda? But the backlog is
1: real. There there are 660,000 Canadians waiting for surgery right now.
2: That's a lot. That's a lot. Who might be suffering in significant discomfort? Obviously, emergency surgeries, emergency procedures, and whatnot. We have to compliment our healthcare workers who are doing everything they can to, to urgently help people. We were talking before the show today. I've got a couple of friends who, over the last few weeks, have needed very urgent care, and our healthcare workers are unbelievable. Mm-hmm. But all of them are maxed and overworked and strapped. You know, we hear about yeah. Port Hardy where there's one ER physician there, oh, one. I and was he in his 20s? He's like, please, somebody send. Him. <laughs> Oh my gosh, will the private healthcare model make that worse?
1: Or could we get more BC healthcare workers back into the system if they lift the COVID vaccine mandates? And mm. there are 37 rural mayors in BC who are asking the province to do just that. There were, and I didn't know this, but there were 2,500 workers in BC fired because they refused to get the COVID vaccine. Yeah. And BC is a bit of an outlier in being kind of, I think, the last province to say, we're not lifting those mandates.
2: And it's interesting, too, because there are people who are loud about, bring these people back. Let's do this. Like, well, let's not worry about the vaccine ma- mandate in, in healthcare. care. And honestly, we had Dr. Bonnie Henry in studio talking about this, and she's like, I'm not changing that. The most vulnerable people access our healthcare system, and I need to know that they are most protected. There are a lot of people that go there that can't have a vaccine. So yeah. how about we do clinics... Where the unvaccinated healthcare workers can work in, and then they people can only who work with unvaccinated problem. people, <laughs> or, or people who right? have no I problem mean, with seeing. Because there are a lot of chiropractors and naturopaths well, know. and what have you, mm-hmm. and there are lots that are just like, I'm not, and I never will, and I won't. And frankly, but I'd like you to
1: wear a badge because I, I don't would want like to. <laughs> to know that my healthcare professional believes, believes in, in science. science. Right? Because did you see this report that just came out? Yes. That showed that the astonishing power of misinformation around COVID, all those little rabbit holes contributed to, what was it? How many? 2,800 Canadians dying from COVID.
2: That's not bluster. That is not spin. That is clear, direct line Mm -hmm. from disinformation and anti science and anti vaccine rhetoric out of the freedom that killed people. It killed people because people were hesitant because they thought maybe these people have a point. No, science is science. There's no debate in science. But the problem is
1: that over 2 million Canadians believed the stories that they were reading about the fact that the vaccine led to suspicious, unexplained deaths and all these things. And let's get real. I mean, there were a couple of complications and we learned along the way. And there were a couple of people who suffered adverse reactions to the vaccines. Very few. billions of people got the vaccine and there was like a very very minimal yeah. rate. Uh but the problem is 13,000 people they say got admitted to hospital because they didn't believe they were afraid of the vaccine. They got sick to the point where they needed to be intubated and what have you? And that, that costs all of our taxpayers, yeah. all of us and the healthcare system. I will tell you so this,
2: Dr. Peter hotez from Texas mm-hmm. Children's Hospital, uh, one of the researchers, vaccinologists who Big actually deal. Big yeah, deal. he is part of the creation of one of the, mm-hmm. the Corbivacs uh, and gave up the patent for those who say that he's trying to take your money. Uh, he gave up all the cash that could come his way. He's going to come on the show in March. He's coming to Vancouver. we got all the best he's, guests. I know we really do. But he tweeted today, there's new science in about mm. the new bivalent mm-hmm. vaccine, the booster that so many people in BC still have not gotten because they thought, I'm fine. It's more Effective than anybody might have ever dreamed. Go get. Your I would star. get it
1: in two seconds. I've got it. i got it. If I had gotten COVID in December for the first time you're gonna ever. go. You're gonna. Oh, I'm. Go. You talked me into the, the summer one. Second, I can go. Yeah, I'm going. I love that about you, Linda mm. Steele.
2: I love so much about you.
1: All right. Next on steel and Vance. Two. What? Can
2: I take back that part about what loving the you? What wrong with people? You brought this to the fore. I, I got to look away. What the hell?
1: This is nuts. This is a new sport. I'm doing air quotes. Uh, more on the power slap league when we come back. Mm. No. Oh.
2: Okay, you made it. It's your favorite part of the show. I know it is. I know saying, it is. What
1: did what, what we make it to? Oh, what the hell is wrong with people segment. See? Can we start with the impaired driver that the Vancouver police pulled over on the weekend? Like as though he wouldn't be noticed driving a vehicle with disco lights the and the undercarriage. What the hell is wrong with people? That's the kind of person who probably would be an impaired driver. Agreed. Right? D-
2: like... It's Darwinian. It's Mm. downright Darwinian. This is just ridiculous. Okay, so this next one, this I actually physically, viscerally feel sorry (laughs) for this particular news anchor because she boots this around so badly about Bruce Boudreau.
1: Former Washington Capitals coach Bruce Boudreau has been fired by the Vancouver Canucks. The team announced the change Sunday, less than a week President of Hockey Operations, Jim Rutherford, said major surgery was needed to fix the Canucks. Rick Tukid was hired
2: as Good. Boudreaux's replacement.
1: <laughs> Canucks. Rick Tukid. But you know what? As the news anchor of many decades, you have to actually ask someone, how do you say it? Boudreaux, That not tough. Canuck? You've never heard of the Canucks, Canucks
2: before? Oh, or or okay. just even
1: a Canadian as a Canuck? Anyway. Okay. Jody, this will make you, it already has made you insane. Can we just
2: put a warning up here? Yeah, please. Okay.
1: Careful. If you don't like, if you don't like. Violence? (laughs) Yes.
2: Look away. Just briefly.
1: Okay. Because this is a new sport and it, it is called the Power Slap League. Two. Okay, that is disgusting. That is brain damage, and you will see other contestants get up and get slapped to the point where they're almost having convulsions. And this is being run by the UFC guy Dana. Dana White, White yeah. yeah, who got caught slapping his wife well, at a New Year's that's party. I got the idea from. They had to delay I mean,
2: this launch of this quote. They got to stop this. this. This is, is going to cause
1: dementia, CTE. What? 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 People are paying for that. Not okay.
2: I can't with that. I also don't like this and I know these aren't real but is this fashion is this haute couture is this
1: a thing I saw this and I thought what the hell is that uh, this is Paris Fashion Week that's Kylie Jenner and yeah. this is her modeling a it's not a not a real lion head it's not head. real
2: and the artists that made these heads there's a wolf head there's a they're be- they're beautiful in in their art artisanal
1: Quality, quality, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah.
2: But I just, the visual of this, that it's a trophy of some kind. Yeah, if that's... Jan Arden were here right now,
1: she'd be pissed. Yeah, I don't like it. There's, so, there's something really I like distasteful. It. I also don't about like this.
2: It. The Razzies. I know mm-hmm. you're not big into the movies and the Oscars and stuff. I'm going to pull you around on that. I got a couple movies I want you to watch. But the Razzies. So this is where they point out crappy performances by actors, which I don't dig anyway, but it's yeah, kind of true. a thing that gets a lot of clicks and whatever. I mean, if you don't like it, don't look at it but I draw the line at pointing out children, which they've done before. I was a big, big Brooke Shields fan Mm. back in the day, and in 1981, she won a Razzie as a a preteen. And it won, well, (laughs) was tagged with. But Mm -hmm. Ryan Kira Armstrong there in Firestarter was 11 years old when she did Firestarter, and now she's 12. In the world of social media, let's not do this. Let's not do this, Razzies, let's not. Like, what the hell? The clicks that because they're getting the clicks, we know this to be true. Like this is how you get the clicks from the.
1: Uh, oh, from, we're all so enraged. Can we get all the to time. happy endings? Uh, and here's one that's really interesting. So Sarah Pulley is a great Canadian oh, icon, Pulley. actress, film writer, screenwriter, director. You name it. Yeah. And she just got nominated for best picture for an Oscar and best screenplay, I think, too. Women talking. This, this is where she saw it, and she tweeted this. Found out she got the nomination expectations were low for today oops here i am at a routine doctor's appointment i really didn't plan this day right so god bless her uh, that's incredibly exciting to be nominated for those totally. awards
2: and if you're somebody who's like mm, i don't really know who sarah Pauli is road to avonlea now you do now Go- you do google her she's, yeah. she's huge, huge and she's super talented and, and women Canadian. talking and james cameron for uh, mm-hmm. Avatar, yeah, the, the sequel, yeah. also can, there are a couple Canadians that are. Mm-hmm. We'll get into the Oscars with Dana G. She'll come in, and get you all prepped, but start watching the mm-hmm. movies that are nominated. And one more thing, uh, close to my heart, close to our hearts in Vancouver, one thing that I'm gonna pull you to, if we can get <laughs> this festival back on track, Vancouver Folk Festival, you know it, you love it. If you're from around here, you go, you hang out, you're in the sunshine, you can afford it. It's fun, it's community, it's so great. Well, there is a Facebook page to help save the Vancouver Folk Festival. Go on Facebook, look for this, add your name to it. $500,000 is needed. There's enough money in this town to make well, that happen. because
1: they were saying that we're gonna cancel it this year and maybe indefinitely. indefinitely. And people are saying, come on, no fun city, let's save our big events. Let's say so, thank
2: you to our team behind mm-hmm. the scene. Handsome Brad, by the way, on vacation watching whales jump. No. So we gotta say thank oh, you, Derek Wong, fun, doing it all. Nina Savage, the right twist. hand woman, making it happen. Twist Fashions, Lord Shoes.
1: Yeah, that's Sweet. the whole thing. Uh, our amazing guests, you, and we will. Uh, we're digging away. We're already thinking about next week. So I hope you have a great rest of your week, and we'll see you next week.